Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome back to Zircona's Growth Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs. In this special episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Darren Seifer, food and beverage industry analyst, who's going to share some highlights of the recently completed report, Inside America's Kitchen, which is the result of an extensive audit of America's Kitchens and the insights that we can glean from this incredible information. Welcome back, Darren. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. So this audit informs like Inside America's Kitchen, and it includes a list of like cookware to condiments. So tell us a little more about this. Yeah, no, th- this is a really insightful report because it, in my mind, helps complete the picture of everything that we're trying to do here at Circana. We look at what people are purchasing. We look at what people are buying. And what I love about this one is that it shows us the tools and resources that consumers have to put all those foods together. Um, You know, it it was very insightful the last time we did it back in 2020 when everything was locking down and, and we needed to get a grapple on what people were doing in their kitchens and and how were they handling that influx of meals in the home. And we were able to show how, you know, this percent of homes had this appliance to, to get the job done, but most homes didn't, for example. And so what I love about this update is we could see how we've moved on from 2020. So what, in fact, you just kind of noted one of the big takeaways for me is that the number of items we have in our kitchens today is down significantly from that 2020 audit. Um, You say that the average number of pantry items on hand is down 10%. That's pretty significant. Do you think that that's inflation? Is that a reflection of us not using as many raw ingredients? Partially. I I think it's partially from inflation, because when you think about what happens when prices rise, there's always going to be that group of the population who cuts back on impulse buying, uh, those things that you see at checkout, maybe they don't throw them in the cart as freely as they used to. So I, I do think it is a part of that. But I also think it's about how we're not stocking our pantries for the long term like we were in 2020. So if you remember, going to the grocery store was kind of an ordeal back then. Uh, I I was living in New York City at the time. And uh, there were some places where you you actually needed a reservation just to get in because they needed to limit the number of people at a store at a time. So people were just stocking up and stocking up because they weren't exactly sure when they could go back to the grocery store. And they didn't want to be there because of social distancing and fears of running into someone who might be sick and therefore you getting sick. And so we're, we're keeping more of this just-in-time inventory in our pantries compared to 2020. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a a reflection of changing times. I think 2020 was definitely the time that changed and we're kind of resetting. I know it's, it's, you are bringing back some ugly memories for me, frankly, of arrows on the floor. And like you said, reservations. Darren, you mentioned that we're doing more of the just-in-time purchasing. 
So I could see like maybe seeing a lot of fresh items being up more or um, some things being down more. But can you give us a little sense of like what you see in terms of what's up and what's down? What are you looking at? So we definitely saw things like fresh fruit um, were not on hand as often. I think that that is partially cost related, uh, particularly for, for example, SNAP recipients who saw their benefits reduced. Um, and actually, anytime we see economic uncertainty, we see things like fresh fruit come down in sales and in consumption because more consumers can't afford to have their foods go bad. Right. I disagree and, with that. I completely disagree. I think things like fresh berries are always, always hot sellers because they're affordable. You can buy what you, you can buy what you want. Um, you know, that's the beauty of produce. You don't have to buy it by the pound. You can buy, buy the item. And I figured maybe that's not what's on hand because we consume it a lot faster. Well, mm, y y there's that, but think about well, first of all, why do we even have banana bread? It's because we don't get to the bananas fast enough, right? And so for for consumers who can't afford to have it go bad, I mean, for example, SNAP benefits and, and the recipients, mm -hmm. their cards won't refill simply because their food went bad. They have to wait for their card to refill. And so that's that's food that's just been wasted for them. Um, you know, you're right. You can buy smaller portions, but you have to get to it. And you could more casually get to something like potato chips, which lasts in the pantry for weeks and for some people even months. Uh, whereas fruit, it's, it's going to go bad much more quickly. And so it, there is a price factor with that. But another area where we did see people pulling back on having things on hand were grilling items. So not necessarily the grill itself. Obviously, that's just sitting out there. But things related to the grill, like hot dogs, hamburgers, buns. It's been really hot this year. This was, as we know, there was the, the hottest July on record. And who wants to be standing near an open flame when that's happening? But there's also the fact that when we think about what goes on with the grilling occasion, there's a lot of planning that goes involved with that. Uh, with more people commuting, there's less time to handle that. And also, I, I do think there's a cost factor when you think of the volume of food and beverages that go through a grilling occasion. I mean, it's not just your center of the plate protein and maybe a side. You have lots of sides. You've got hamburgers, hot dogs, beverages that are sitting in the bucket of ice. That's that's a very big expense for many people. And so I, I do think that was part of it as well. So in terms of this kitchen audit, do you get a sense of the personal involvement people are taking in the meal planning? I mean, you just mentioned even grilling and, and the effort it takes to kind of plan what all that's going to include. But are you seeing in terms of putting the meal together, are people spending less time? Um, because like you also mentioned that return to work, return to school, we're busy people. We are seeing, if you, if you plot all the meals out on a continuum with one end being absolutely no preparation or even takeout. And the other end of that continuum are meals that take an hour or more, those special occasion meals. We are seeing a shift toward that less involvement, particularly at dinner. 
we're seeing an increase in things like heat and eat solutions. It's all just painting this picture that there's just less time available today compared to, to last year, even especially 2020. Because when you think about it, if we weren't commuting, we really weren't leaving our homes very much in 2020. I mean, that, that was, if you have an hour commute each way, that's two hours back in your day that you weren't spending in a car or a train and you could dedicate that towards making some meals. That time is starting to slip away from consumers. Now, I, I do want to caveat that by saying it's not a, it's not been a complete return to work. Uh, we, there's an estimate out there that maybe 50% of offices are, are back to, to fully staffed to where they were in 2020. So we're, we're not fully back there yet, but we're moving in that direction each year. And are, with meal planning, um, do you see that as people are returning to work, are they plotting things out a little bit more? Or again, are, are you kind of sticking with, no, no, people are really, you know, it's almost day to day of planning what we're going to have, what do we have on hand, what needs to be consumed, um, how do we reduce waste? Like, give me a little sense of that mindset of how, how involved people can be um, when it's quick. I loved what you said about relying more on like fresh prepared. Is it a combination of maybe buying some semi-prepared and doing some yourself, kind of sticking with many of those skills that people adopted during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. We're seeing a multitude of things happening. So, you know, like I said, we're seeing more heat and eat solutions happening. At the same time, away from home, we're seeing, for example, the breakfast occasion is really driving traffic right now, particularly for quick service restaurants. Uh, we're seeing if, if you if a coffee establishments are, are having a moment right now in the morning. We're also seeing fast casual restaurants, which typically aren't the least expensive way to get a meal on the quick service side, are, are also doing pretty well. The, what they're doing in common is that they're all connecting with those needs of speed, great taste, fresh foods, ability to customize a bit. And, and that's meeting the consumer needs right now. Now, again, not everyone can afford that, uh, especially when we see, again, we hear things like SNAP benefits being cut, prices going up. Uh, let's not forget student loan payments are starting to come back. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not necessarily within everyone's reach, but it is an outlet where we see that they're meeting consumer needs and they're willing to pay for that. Right, right. And it could be occasion-based. So I want to lean in a little bit on some of the generational differences that you might have observed based on this research. What, you know, what things do you, would you say are shared by generations? Um, Maybe it's the types of products that are on hand in most kitchens, or where do you see some, some dramatic differences that might tell us a, a story or two? Yeah. You know, so some things that consumers just our staples across the board. You see things like cold cereal. That's the top thing that we have at breakfast. I think coffee is another big thing that generationally we, we all appreciate that that morning cup of joe. Uh, but there are some differences when it comes to coffee and how it's prepared. So for example, you know, we're we're more likely to see in millennial and Gen Z homes that they have things like mocha pots, um, uh, different ways of preparing that coffee in the morning. It's not just your, your percolator um, like we would used to see with seniors, for example. 
boomers not so much but it's still more about that traditional way of preparing coffee so we just see some things bubbling up with some of those younger generations that makes it seem like come on darren percolating (laughs) (laughs) yep yep just not haven't seen that percolate in a while actually (laughs) Um, but uh, but when it comes to I was going to say, when it comes to to foods on hand, it, we see baby boomers, for example, they they tend to have, I, I guess you could call it more that traditional American fare. Uh, so things like canned tomatoes, mushrooms, uh, cooking items like evaporated milk and vegetable shortening. And as we start to get a little bit younger, you start to see the, some of that multicultural influence come into play. And so millennials are more likely to have queso and agave items on hand, but also some kid-friendly things. They're, they're likely to have young kids, and they have things like dried fruit, yogurt drinks. Um, and then Gen Z's, they're still figuring out their abilities in the kitchen just because of the life stage that they're in. They're very young adults. And so they're more likely to have things like pastas and sauces and re- and related things to it, eggs or another example. And so... It's important to understand those skill sets of those different generations so that you could accurately match those products to meet their needs. You see that. Did you see a bump, though, in the cooking skills or anything in the home that indicated that that pandemic really had kind of accelerated our ability to navigate the kitchen? Yeah, I think particularly for Gen Zs, we we saw that because when you think about it, going into the pandemic, if you know, they're what, 18 to, to 23 or 24 year olds at the time uh, for adult Gen Zs, you don't really know what you're doing in the kitchen too much. You know, you just haven't had the time to accumulate the skills that you need to. But the pandemic really forced them to figure out how to navigate their kitchens. They, they really didn't have a choice in, in many cases. And we did see the biggest jump in self-assessed skills in the kitchen among Gen Zs. There is more of them who are saying that they are very good or even accomplished cooks in the kitchen now versus 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, in each generation, accomplished or... Um, uh, accomplished cooks is is not a very big part of of the generation, but we did see that it did jump up for Gen Zs the most. Am I allowed to laugh at that and say everybody gets a ribbon? <laughs> <laughs> I Go for it. it. I get it. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of those gadgets, um, like appliances and and cooking gadgets, um, pots and pans, because again, at the outset of the pandemic, sales of those products just were insane, like air fryers, cookware, Um, to your point, because a lot of people didn't, you know, they didn't have to really worry about this before. Um, So tell us a little bit about what you saw there and where things are trending right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about what happened with appliances, it was really about a purchase cycle disruption. Uh, those appliances were being bought in numbers that clearly we we weren't expecting them to be. And things like the air fryer, when we last looked at the air fryer household penetration in 2020, it was around 37%, something like that. And it's over 60% now. More than 60% of homes have one in it. That That's a very, very quick jump. We usually don't see increases like that. I think probably the last time an, an appliance 
rose that quickly was probably the microwave oven. You know, it's it's just we tend to accumulate things a little bit more slowly. Maybe if we were moving homes, that's when we would get it. But but during the pandemic, people were moving homes, but people even in existing homes, we saw these appliances moving in in great numbers. Now, those sales are starting to come down because again, we we kind of pulled forward on the purchase cycle a bit, but we're still using them. And that's the thing. And the fact that we're seeing increases in usage in some of these, particularly the air fryer, it says that we are returning to convenience that saves us time in the kitchen. When um, when we started to buy those appliances back in 2020, it was very much about, I need to handle this influx of meals. And, and that that was the convenience factor. Today, it's shifting more towards how do I handle the balance of meals that I'm making in home and meals that I need to take with me away from home or that uh, I need to commute again. And so you need to help me do this in a shorter period of time. And so convenience is still there. Convenience is always going to be around, but it's really about what the focus is and it is shifting. I love that because it it does kind of speak to, you know, some of those long-term behaviors that are really going to um, reflect who we are at any given time. And again, convenience is different, but it's how we go about convenience or what convenience looks like, like to us. And I could say that about so many other things. You know, you mentioned, for example, the adoption of microwave ovens being very quick, you know, and we haven't seen that until we saw what's happening with air fryers. Well, now it it seems to me in the past like six to eight months or maybe a year that I've heard so much more about things like induction um, cooktops and stuff taking over. And I'm wondering if you're seeing a big shift occurring with with electricity um, versus gas. No, that's a really great observation. Um, You know, sustainability is something that uh, particularly these younger generations have more on their mind. Um, For example, Gen Zs are more likely to have a portable induction, you know, one of those single burners. And, um, you know, I think it's partly because they might be living in smaller spaces, but, you know, there's there's always been other single burner types out there. But to have induction is something that skews, I, I think, says something. Um, it, it says something about uh, they're maybe concerned about fossil fuels and burning the, the gas oven within your homes. Um, and it, there's a safety component, too, when you think about it, because you're less likely to burn yourself on one of those. Um, so I, I I do think that it is interesting that, that Gen Zs do pop up a little bit higher for things like that as well. Uh, but, you know, speaking of sustainability, there are some other things that we see popping up that, that's a little bit different. Um, we do see things like reusable bags and things like that are, are a little bit higher like in some of those younger silicone, generations. Silicone bags, yes, right? yeah. yes. So you don't have to throw out the plastic bag. You just reuse the silicone and they're pretty durable. I think they go in the dishwasher and even the microwave. And so they have a lot of those the properties that we're used to. It's just they're with a little bit more durability. Um, one thing that did come across pretty evenly, though, across the generations were things like uh, refillable water bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's just, I think to me, it just says it's it's convenient across the different generations. You could refill wherever you want and, you know, they don't, they're not subject to the damage that a lot of plastic bottles are. So I think that's more about a convenience thing for consumers. And it's, and it's a small thing. You know, I, I yeah. think that that's small and it's accessible. When you talk about things like induction burners, even if they are small or cookware, you know, if you are a more mature household and you already have 
pretty much everything you need. It's going to take a little bit more convincing, I think, to like swap over to something like induction. But that's why I see Gen Z being more readily buying into this because they're starting from scratch. You know, they yep. aren't having to worry about that as much. Um, so I like that. I think that's really interesting. So I want to talk um, a little bit more about that next generation kitchen and smart kitchens, because you talk a good bit about that. And I'd like you to just kind of pause for a minute or tell me a little bit more about what you mean about smart kitchens. Is this like all connected appliances? Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about Wi-Fi or Bluetooth connected appliances in your kitchen, they, they harness the internet connection to communicate with you. And each year we've seen more and more homes have these appliances. Uh, you know, they're, they're convenient in the sense that you could be sitting on your couch or you could even be away from home and you could turn your oven on or off. You can set the timer. And so there is a convenience factor where you could set something in the oven, go to work at, let's just say 3 p.m. You could start the oven and have it cook slowly for two hours or something like that. And it's ready for you when you're home. So there is that convenience factor. I, I do think there is an opportunity for these appliances to do a bit more for consumers. And I think that would drive more sales and get them into more homes. So one of the things that we hear from a lot of consumers, and particularly our younger adults, is that they're afraid to make some foods because they're not sure it's going to turn out right. And if there are ways that these appliances can, let's, for example, say, measure the size of the piece of meat that's in the oven and cook it for the right amount of time, right? Because when you get a recipe, you say, get this piece of meat, put it in for this amount of time, but you really have to look at it and make sure you're not going to underdo it or overdo it. That's all about the human factor. It would be great if these appliances can take out that human factor mm. and make it the way that you want it every time, regardless of the size. That's a pain point that consumers have. And I think these appliances can solve these pain points and therefore drive more sales. Oh, that is really interesting. Some of the things that I like are, um, you know, say you are away from home, looking in the fridge to see, do I have eggs? Do I yep. need more milk? And, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I think truly a really smart appliance would be now is here what here's what you can do with those it, items. It, and exactly. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, would it be great if your appliances can tell you how to use up the food that you have in your home already that, again, to help prevent things like waste and, and people who, who really can't afford to have things go wasting in their kitchens. That would be a great uh, addition to these smart appliances. Well, and you came absolutely full circle. So I want to stop there because we're now we're back to what is one of the biggest pain points currently right now. Um, so Darren, where, because there's, this is, we have touched literally the tip of the iceberg um, with this report inside America's Kitchen. Where can people go for more information? Well, the, the, best place to go is your Circana representative. So just shoot them an email, give them a call, let them know you heard about this and you want to learn more. You could contact me. You want to send me an email. It's darren.cipher, that's S-E-I-F-E-R, at circana.com. Or you can email contact us at circana.com and you'll be directed to the person who could help you best. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to recap just a couple of the things 
that um, that we've talked about today, and that is that there has been a huge shift in from the last audit in 2020 into what we're doing now, where we might not have as much in the kitchen, but but your sense is that we are making so much better use of what we have because people are a little more vested. Um, convenience is still a top priority. People don't want to spend as much time for most meals. We'll call it, like you said, there's like that big continuum. But for most meals, we're looking for something easy and people just have a lot of tools and they have more resources for putting some of those meals together. Um, that we are, there are some items that are in the kitchen that are pretty ubiquitous. And you mentioned like cold cereal and coffee. And then with coffee, especially you said, but the way people are, are interacting or using or engaging or cooking is very different by generation. Um, that the older generation, you're, they're more likely to have some of those staple items like canned goods and cooking ingredients where younger generations might have um, more interesting like multicultural products or things that are a little bit different, a lot of kid friendly because that's their generation. And then some of those Gen Zs, those youngest consumers who are still kind of trying to figure it out might have some of the more um, quick prepare like pastas and sauces and things like that. Um, I think it's interesting in talking about how kitchen appliances have changed, um, particularly as you mentioned with those youngest consumers um, being the earlier adapters for things like maybe new technologies like induction. Um, I loved what you said about air fryers and the, the crazy growth of air fryers from like 30% penetration a couple years ago to 60% today. Um, and that is really interesting. Um, and I like to hear, and I will be so interested to learn more about how sustainability gets built into our kitchen, um, because that obviously is so important. And high five for the refillable waters. Um, go Americans who drink a lot of water. So, um, Darren, thanks again for your time. Oh, yes. Did you have just want to say one more thing? I just want to hammer a point home because, yes, we do have fewer things on hand. And some some of you might have noticed that some volumes are down at retail, but I want to be very clear that we are not eating less, <laughs> right? That that is that's one question I get all the time. So so who's eating less? And is it nope? That that's not it. It's it's a multifaceted situation. Again, we we already talked about how one of the things that we're not doing is keeping as many things in our pantries. So that that is one of the contributors to volume declines um there's more quick trips that we're seeing and not to mention that we're going to restaurants more than we were in 2020 you know we still haven't gone to the pre-pandemic levels but we have shifted in that direction as well and when we go away from home we're not exactly eating the exact same foods as we were in the home and so like i said breakfast was a growing occasion at food service when we're in home the the most common thing we have is a bowl of cereal when we're away from home it's a breakfast sandwich and so when people say where's my volume flowing it's not necessarily going to the same category in a different situation it's could be a different category altogether. So I just want to hammer that home that again, even though you know when we see volumes down, it does not mean we are eating less. Good point. And actually, I'm working on a little report that will be available at our on our website, circana.com, um, or still through heritageiriworldwide.com on declining volume does not equal 
less consumption. So absolutely, it is very important that we get that oh, across. Look at that. I tee that up for you. Thank you. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm not even the host and I'm teeing it up for you. <laughs> I appreciate the push. All right, Darren, thanks again. And we'll talk again soon. I can't wait. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Sarcotic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Sarcana Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at Sarcana.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.